right, well, let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, and we will get started. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for a day of, of consecrated rest. You are worthy of worship, and we come here this morning to gather and to worship you. We pray, Father, that you would help us to worship by your Spirit, and that you would transform our meager offerings into glorious um, praise that is pleasing to you. I pray, Father, that as we sing and as we uh, receive your word and as we dine with you at the table, that we would be blessed and you too would be blessed from us. I pray, Father, that as we look um, at the story of Absalom and David that this morning, that you would open up our eyes to see uh, any potential um, blemishes in our own heart and, and sins in our own lives and, and protect us from the evil one through these texts. We pray, Father, for um, all the visitors that are coming this morning, that they would be gathered more closely to your church and also to you. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, um, before we get started, I wanted to say briefly, we'll talk more about this as the year goes on. But one of the temptations when you finish a brand new building is to feel as though um, you have arrived, as though as though we have run through some uh, ticker tape. Is that what you call the tape? What is the tape at the end of a race? Not ticker tape? What do you call The finish line. We have not crossed any finish lines. Um, we have perhaps crossed a few mile markers, but we have not crossed the finish line. And uh, you don't cross the finish line until you die um, or Jesus returns. And so one of the temptations, though, when you, when you build a new building, you, we spent all year raising money and selling buildings, and ah, you can just get tired of all of that. And then you, oh, whoops, I forgot to tithe this month. Uh, oh, oh there, there, there it goes again. I forgot to tithe again on the second month. And so, and I've noticed uh, when we look at the finances that the, uh, the giving is just a little sporadic. It's a, it's a little inconsistent. And so I just want to encourage everyone um, this is not, we didn't just finish the race. We finally have a tool to do a lot more. You know what I mean? But we can do a lot more. And you've already seen how much more we could do. We've had a lot of blessings from our new facility. And um, that, that particular facility is going to shape us and shape our culture and our society here for years to come. And it's awesome. But you still have to resource everything. You still have to pay the Christian school teachers and pay the uh, maintenance staff, and pay the electric bills, and, and all of that stuff. So let me just encourage everyone in 2024 to be tithing. You know, as, as Tim said last week, and I thought it's great, he said, isn't it amazing that J Jesus lets you keep 90%? Isn't that great? <laughs> um, so be tithing, but also what we want to do and set this goal for 2024 is to build up our emergency fund. Right now, we have an emergency fund of about a month and a half. We have about 90000 in emergency fund or margins, and we want about 150000 And so why do we need emergency funds? Because this is an election year, right? No. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Who knows? I was, I was certainly glad we had built up an emergency fund before uh, COVID hit. I mean, that was, that was uh, great. And so... Let's, uh, if you would, keep tithing, obviously, as you all are, but consider this year, at some point in this year, um, what you might be able to give directly to the emergency fund just to help 
with some margins. You know, nobody likes to live month to month, right? Well, you certainly don't want to operate your entire church month to month. And building that building took everything we have. It took all, you know, we were firing on all cylinders to try to get into that building. So now we need to make sure we have some buffer. A three-month emergency fund will be great. And I'll be, I'll be teaching on emergency funds. And, and maybe this will inspire you in your own personal life to get one as well, you know, if, if at all possible. So anyway, with that said, let's jump back into our, our passage. We're going to be in um, 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel 15. <laughs> We've been looking at Absalom's rebellion his revolution. And we've seen quite a bit already. Just to remind you, it's been a while, I think, since we, we looked at it. But we, we saw Absalom slowly but surely positioning himself at the gates of the city so that he could capitalize on everyone's um, concerns and everyone's hurts and offenses in order to steal the heart of David from, from uh, steal the hearts of the people from David, their king. And uh, as a result, eventually, he has enough support because he has stirred up enough support, enough uh, contention against David and ruined David's reputation enough that when he goes to um, the, the city that he goes to, the name of it escapes my mind right now. When he goes to the city to offer his sacrifice and pay his vow, he, uh, he stages a coup, they blow the trumpet, and everyone shouts, Absalom is king. So the revolution is now off and running. As a result of this revolution um, kickstarting, it's been, it, there's been a revolution going on behind the scenes in the hearts of people and in back rooms and stuff for quite a while. But now it is out in the open. He's seizing the moment. He's going for it. And uh, so as a result, David, King David, the chosen heir of the throne, the great ancestor of Jesus Christ, has to flee the city. He has to run away. Get out of town. And so that's where we pick up our story here in um, 2 Samuel 15. And what we're going to see <laughs> in 2 Samuel 15 is a contrast. We've been seeing Absalom's revolution, but now we're going to see the opposite of this radical, rebellious individualism that Absalom is exhibiting. And what do you think is the opposite of radical, wicked, anti-authority, anti-hierarchy, disloyal individualism. Absalom's all about himself, not about the kingdom, not about God, not about the king. It's about himself. What do you think the opposite of that radical individualism is? Covenant. I hear covenant. covenant. What, what? Loyalty. I like that. Yes. Yes. The opposite, I wanted to say this, is not collectivism. Right? It's not collectivism. And it's not blind servile, dog-like loyalty. You know, your dog, you, you could have you murdered someone and buried them in your backyard, and your dog's still going to like you when you walk in the back door. He's still going to be happy with you. Um, not servile, um, absolute loyalty. We all serve, ultimately, King Jesus. But the, the, the absence of covenantal loyalty, that's what Absalom has in his heart. He doesn't have covenantal loyalty. He doesn't see himself as a part of covenantal body. He's a part of a family. His dad's David, right? He rejects that. He doesn't see the loyalty and the covenantal loyalty that he should have to his very own father, right? If David's not perfect, but does Absalom owe him loyalty? Absolutely, absolutely. He doesn't see himself as a part of the kingdom. 
right? He's a prince in the kingdom, and he's still not satisfied with that. He doesn't see himself as a part of a kingdom, and he obviously doesn't see himself as a part of a church. It's Absalom. He's going to sit on the throne. He's going to take charge. He's the man for the hour, and all of these covenantal relationships that he has are um, cast out of his mind, and, and he is placed on the throne of everything. He's got to be over everything. Yes, very good. All of y'all, that's a correct answer. Covenant, loyalty. Um, listen to what Proverbs 19, verse 22 says. It says, what is desired in a man is steadfast love. Steadfast love is how translators translate covenantal loyalty. It's uh, the Hebrew word hesed. We talk about that a lot here in this church over the years. Um, <laughs> hesed is faithfulness, right? It's stick-to-itiveness. It's loyalty. It's covenantal love. And the reason why it's translated steadfast is because it perseveres in spite of tests and trials. Make sense? And what does God desire in a person? What does he really desire in a person? I'm sorry? Obedience, Obedience yes. Faithfulness, a.k.a. covenantal loyalty, a.k.a. steadfast love. Steadfast love is the same thing as covenantal loyalty. It's, that's how you exhibit covenantal loyalty, is by maintaining your love with those in your covenantal relationships. Right? All right. So... <laughs> That's what um, Absalom um, doesn't have. Now, those who are Absaloms, who don't respect the covenantal ties in their life, do we have a lot of those people in our country? Yeah. Yes. Um, they have no covenantal loyalty to their nation, right? Or to their family, perhaps even. But do we have a lack of covenantal loyalty in the church in America? Absolutely. People simply do not have the concept in their minds. And, uh, and, and we, when we get new people in our church, uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I can always tell, they don't get that. They don't get it. They come new to our church. They don't understand the concept of covenantal loyalty. And, and, and it's, it's hard to get that paradigm shift into people's hearts and minds because everyone is born by default we are radically individualistic self-centered we think it's just me and my personal Jesus right and that's that and and they come to church and you can just tell by the questions and by their interactions that they don't understand that God is bringing them into a body into a society and wants them to be um, integrated and covenantally connected to that society, the church. And it takes a long time. It takes a long time. And uh, the wor in the worst cases of this is when a new person comes and they begin to behave as though they're in charge. Right? That's the worst type. You know, because as a church, we are, we are a team, right? We have a, we have a common mission. And we're going in a common direction. Amen? Hopefully. And one of the ways to be successful as a team is everybody's got to be in the right seat on the bus, right? That's the goal. Everybody get in the right seat, all going in the same direction. That's when it's awesome. That's when you got synergy. But when new people come, they don't have a seat yet. And the worst case scenario is when they think they are the driver. That's, <laughs> right? 
You know, stuff's not going on around here the way I want it to be. You know, we should be doing this. We should be doing that. Okay, now you relax, all right? Uh, but then another bad thing is when, they think, when they're trying to take the seats that are already filled, like, and, they, and they fantasize about their role. And, you know, I feel like the Lord has called me to, to have stage ministry, right? Or <laughs> to, be, to stand up in front of people and to be a somebody. They just don't have a concept of, no, God has sent you to fit a particular spot in this community. You find that spot. That's how you can be happy. That's how you can be free. That's how you can uh, help with synergy and productivity, right? But if every member on the team is the quarterback, that's a problem, right? <laughs> or the coach or whatever, or the center. So when people come, they don't quite understand this concept of covenantal loyalty. Another way it shows up when, when people um, are just trying to get over this paradigm is they treat the church as though it is a, um, an establishment designed to disseminate uh, religious goods and services, Right? And, uh, and so they will ask things like, you know, what religious goods and services do you offer? S- something like that. You know, tell me about the music, right? Uh, you know, because I, I sort of have these preferences, and this is kind of how what ministers to me. You know, tell me about the style of preaching. You know, how long is it? You know, what percentage of it is application versus exegesis? You know, is it line by line, verse upon verse, or is it more topical, right? And, you know, it's, it's, they have a consumer mindset, you know, what sort of ministries do you have for the children? Stuff like that. And, uh, and I try, and it takes, a, it takes years, but I try to help people understand, you're, you're being gathered by the Lord, by his sovereign guidance, into a society, into a community, not a Sunday morning experience, right, that meets your, uh, you know, need for religious goods and services, disseminated by the professionals. That's not what we're, what we're trying to accomplish. It's a covenantal community, a covenantal community. Um, Absalom doesn't get that, though. He believes that he is an island to his perfect self. But covenantal loyalty, uh, one of the most important, if not the ultimate, Christian virtue, right, is what the Lord desires in each and every one of us. Amen? But that loyalty is going to be tested. It's going to be tested. Peter and, and all the disciples, remember what they said to Jesus? Even if I have to die, I would never deny you. I will stand with you, Jesus, to the very end. What are they basically saying? They're saying that we are loyal. We are faithful. We keep our word, right? We don't break our contracts, no matter what, even if, even if we have to die. And you know, Jesus, of course, knows better. He says, Peter, oh, Peter, you know, before the morning, you're going to have denied me three times because our loyalty is not like God's loyalty. God's loyalty is perfect, right? Our loyalty is not perfect, and, 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 but it can be stronger. But how does it get stronger? Only through tests. Only through tests. Well, as you maintain your faithful commitments and your covenantal loyalty through the test, your covenantal loyalty grows stronger. You, you begin to see yourself even more as an integrated part of a covenantal community. You, 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 you thought you understood covenantal community until so-and-so did that to you, right? <laughs> or until you did that to so-and-so, or until that happened to your friends, 
or till this struggle or this trial. God puts us in tests of loyalty, right? And on Wednesday night, we talked about tests of faith. This is very similar, but uh, specifically, these are tests of loyalty. Are you loyal to God or are you going to cheat on him? Are you going to keep his commandments? Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to follow his way and do your duty regardless of the, of the trial? And are you going to be loyal to your people, to the people that, that have a claim to your heart? Are you going to be loyal to your family? Are you going to be loyal to your church? Are you going to be loyal to your town? Are you going to be loyal to your nation when push comes to shove, right? Now, Absaloms are always going to accuse loyal people of what? Wait, what is that one? Uh, Google Translate of sequence, right? <laughs> Uh-huh. Absalom's, because they don't really understand covenantal loyalty and they don't have covenantal loyalty, they accuse loyal people of being yes men. They accuse uh, loyal pe- people of being lapdogs. It's one of their go-to accusations. Sheeple, yeah. And of course, the person you're being loyal to has to be some sort of a manipulating, lying monster uh, because you're not actually a bad person, you're just dumb, Right? to follow them and to be loyal to them. You're just a lapdog. You don't, you don't know that they actually are burying bodies in the backyard. You're a yes man. You're a sycophant. And that's all Absaloms know. Loyalty for them is uh, just servile lapdog behavior because they don't have a concept uh, of covenantal loyalty through the hard times, through the, the, through the faults and through the offenses. They just don't have that concept. And, uh, well, sure, yes. Yes, they're actually wanting the servile. They want people to be servile to them, for sure. And, but Peter and, and John, um, they were loyal to some degree, right? We're all loyal to some degree. But when push came to shove, their loyalties were shown to be weak, right? Not totally absent, but weak. But then after Jesus restores Peter and, and all the disciples, remember all the disciples fled from, uh, from Jesus except John, the beloved disciple who stayed with him to the end. But he restored, Jesus restores all of them. Do you think they were more loyal after the trial and the test? Absolutely, yes. So all of our loyalties to one another, to our town, to our nation, to our family, to the people that we owe loyalty to is going to be tested. It's going to be put through the stress test so that the weaknesses can be exposed. And um, even God's loyalty is tested. And, and, but when his loyalty is tested every single time, it is demonstrated that he is perfectly and utterly faithful. Amen? Amen. Um, <clears throat> and scholars have pointed out in this text that there are several um, tests of loyalty that David's people have to go through because not everyone follows Absalom, right? Not everyone follows Absalom. Not everyone is a um, you know, victim to Absalom's machinations. Some people are loyal to David, but their loyalties are tested. Let's look at uh, 2 Samuel verse 5, chapter 15, verse 13. And here we see the first test. And the messenger came to David. Okay, remember, uh, the trumpet has blasted. The war cry has been shouted. Absalom's revolution is now out of the closet. And a messenger comes running. He hears the trumpet blast. Oh, it's in Hebron. Absalom is king. The messenger hears it. He has covenantal loyalty to his king, right? And he goes running, saying, David, David, King David, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Now, 
Do you think it was easy to be that whistleblower, that messenger? Do you think that was easy? I mean, what are all his friends doing? They're all following Absalom, I suppose. Maybe not all of his friends, but the, the verse only tells us one loyal messenger comes and tells David. It seems like the whole, the whole city is following after Absalom, right? And of course, David is a type of Jesus, and we know that, right, with Jesus, right, everyone denies him, everyone rejects him. He's born in a, in a manger, and the Bible says Jerusalem was like really upset about that, and Herod. But it says all of Jerusalem was not happy about the king being born right? And here David is being rejected by all of Jerusalem. Do you think that this messenger received some peer pressure? Do you think some of his relationships um, were strained? Yeah. Do you think that he might have had some fear like, wow, what if everything Absalom says about David is true? What if David is a, a, a evil condemned person and God is really on Absalom's side? Do you think he had some suspicions and doubts and some fears? Of course, of course. I remember early on in my ministry, there was uh, a particular person spreading stuff about me. And uh, it was nice because at first they were just spreading vague concerns. Those are the worst. You know what I mean? What's the problem? I just, uh, you know, I just don't know if he's loving. Like you say, it's like just real vague, like this giant two by four of, of, of vagueness. And... Um, I remember someone in my very own family, my extended family, they came to me and they were like, we just, you know, they really got under our skin. And, and, and maybe what they're saying is true. I was like, I promise you, this is not true. It's not true. So they fi- the person was finally uh, pushed to say something specific because you, you're not supposed to receive a, a charge against an elder unless you have two or three witnesses. You're not supposed to receive it. You know what I mean? You're not supposed to tell it, obviously, but you're also not to receive it. But you're, if you're not supposed to receive a charge with two or three witnesses, you certainly aren't to receive a vague like, concern that they might not be following Jesus anymore. And I, I remember one, of the, one, of the, one time it was spread that I was not following Jesus anymore. Sort of, wow. Uh, and this person came to me and they said, I'm, we're just concerned you're not following Jesus anymore. And I was talking to my accountability partner about that. And I was like, hold up, hold up. That's not an accountability partner. You, that's your gossip buddy. You don't... You don't ask your accountability partner that, right? That's a stinking slander. Don't spread that to your accountability partner. And, but even my own family member, like, got under their skin. It can really get under your skin. You have fear, and you have suspicion, like, ah, oh, am I following this? Like, you can have a, a boss at work, and people are talking around the water cooler, saying various things, and you start to think, well, I, you know, I don't know about the direction of this business anymore, right? You just, you hate that. Imagine what's going on in politics with our nation. I mean, oh, it's, it's just so far gone at this particular point. But it can really get under your skin. This messenger is being, his loyalty is being put to the test with everything that Absalom is doing. Wow, right? And yet he is faithful. He passes the test even when David's popularity wanes, right? Even when David is having to run out of town and it looks like maybe God's cursing him the messenger stays faithful to him. I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Listen to um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. This is the only way you're going to be able to be loyal in the face of peer pressure, right? In the face of suspicions and doubts. Look what he says. Paul says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, that, the messenger has to choose. Either I please Christ or I please the, uh, the pressure of the crowds. 
the peer pressure and all my friends. But this lone messenger comes running from the city and he blows the whistle and he tells David there's a, a conspiracy, a revolution has broken out. Um, test two, though, starting in verse 14, is difficulties and inconvenience. Is it always easy to keep your word? Is it always easy? Have you ever done a contract? And then it turns out, man, that uh, is really going to be difficult for me to keep the terms of this contract, right? That's a test of loyalty. Are you going to be faithful to your contract, faithful to your, to your words, even if it costs you something, even if it's inconvenient? Look, it says right here, Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, <coughs> Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for, for us from Absalom. Go quickly lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, this is loyalty right here. Your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. Do you think that was convenient for them? Do you think they got to go pack a bag, right? No, they're losing their houses. They're losing all of their possessions. They're, they're losing all of their uh, relationships. Their kids were in an awesome Christian school. It had a new gym. Everything was going great, and they have to leave. They're leaving it to the bad guys, and they're just out of town just like that. They have to flee. Man, tests are not um, comfortable. That's the, they're, they're a test. A, a pressure test or a stress test is meant to be uncomfortable so that it can reveal the weaknesses. Amen? Or so that it can reveal it to be fraudulent. So don't let discomfort uh, lead you to disloyalty. If you have a, um, a marriage, are you in a covenant? Do you have promises? Remember what they were when you got married? In health and in riches and in popularity and when things are comfortable and convenient, I do. Right? No, it doesn't say that. It says in sickness... Right? And in health, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, I'm going to be loyal. And that's what God desires. That's what is necessary. You don't get to um, imagine um, being married to someone else or getting a divorce when things are uncomfortable. You're being put to the stress test. Are you going to be loyal? Are you going to keep your word? Does God keep his word to his faithless bride? Absolutely. And we have to as well. Amen. Um, when things are uncomfortable uh, that is when we begin in our minds to imagine greener pastures right that's what that's the test when um when children are, are their relationship with their parents are strained you know i don't know if they say it out loud but deep in their hearts they imagine themselves independent of their parents especially if they're older, if they're 18 or 19, I'm moving out, right? You know, it would be better for me to, to not have this hierarchy in my life, right? Or um, in a marriage, when things are uncomfortable, you can be, the discontent can really be stirred up, and you're like, you know what, I think I should be at a, a, in a different marriage with a different person, or I wish they were different. And you have covetousness, right? You have that discomfort, that stress, imagine it causes you discomfort and you begin to imagine scenarios right but that that's will be a breaking of your covenantal loyalty when things are uncomfortable in a church what does 90 percent of evangelical christians do when things are uncomfortable in their church i mean how can you be shepherded 
by the under-shepherds, if every time there's difficulty, you're crossing under the barbed wire fence to another, to another pasture. Just every six, seven years, you've got to go find a different pasture and a different shepherds, right? <clears throat> Church hopping is a, a plague. It's an epidemic in evangelical Christianity, but it's because we don't have any loyalty. And it's because we don't even have a concept of covenant, of covenantal connections. We are radically individualistic. <clears throat> and I say radical because individualism is not ultimately, it's not always bad. Radical individualism is when you put yourself before your covenantal relationships. <clears throat> so don't covet another church with a, a pastor, a fantasy pastor that has all the strengths that your pastors don't have, right? I promise you, when seeing other pastors at a distance is, a, is not a real relationship. It's like a, when you, it's like a long distance relationship. You don't actually know them at all. And they, they can seem perfect and wonderful, right? Don't do that. And don't, ima- and don't imagine other spouses, right? And don't imagine other parents. God has given you the, 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 the community that he has given you. <coughs> Amen? And, it, and if you are tempted in, in, when things are uncomfortable, if you are, you always go, your discontentment always leads you to covetousness and to fantasizing about other situations, then ask God to help you to have more loyalty in your heart. You know, you don't want to ever, in your marriage, you don't want to ever say the divorce word. You don't ever say that word. Amen? Don't even, it's not an option, right? God hates it. It's not an option. Now, there are reasons for getting a divorce. I've done an entire class on that. Um, <clears throat> but outside of that, you should never, never think about it or speak of it. That, that, but that covetousness and that discontent in times of stress that could come out. Don't do that, though. Amen? God desires covenantal loyalty and faithfulness. And, and don't break your contracts, right? Pay your rent. Pay your debts, right? Do what you said you're going to do for your business partners, even if it's uncomfortable. Amen? Amen? All right, there's another test in verse 16. Got a few more minutes. <coughs> so the king went out. And all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And um, we, don't have the time, we don't have time to get into that. Um, but those are David's wives. And uh, he shouldn't have done that, obviously. But he leaves them back at the house. I, I, I don't think, and scholars don't think, that David thought Absalom was as bad as he really was. But Absalom turns out to be much more evil than anyone realizes. Because if you know the story, Absalom rapes all of David's wives. Um, <clears throat> but, but this does lead us to, uh, to think about the fact that when you're absent from your, the people you're supposed to be loyal to, loyal to, there is greater temptation to disloyalty. Amen? You know, business trips alone is a, is a dangerous place, right? Um, on the internet, in a dark room by yourself, it's a dangerous place. God, of course, is always watching, but absence can make the heart grow fonder, but absence is also a temptation to disloyalty. It is a test of loyalty. Are you going to be loyal even when they're not looking, right? Even when no one's looking, amen? Verse 17, and the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. Verse 18, our next, our next test, and all his servants passed by him, 
So this is David. They're fleeing the town, and everyone who's loyal to David is fleeing with him. And notice who they are. And all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Isn't that something? The city of Jerusalem, the Jews, are largely being disloyal to King David. And typologically, this points us to Jesus and his rejection by the Jews, I believe. Um, doesn't say that explicitly. But notice who is being faithful to David. People that aren't his race. Very interesting, right? And actually, these are Philistines. They're like the type. Typologically, Philistines are the bad guys. And here we have armies of Philistines being faithful to David. And I think ethnicity can be a test of loyalty. It really can. Um, when push comes to shove and when things get difficult, um, you must side with whoever is on God's side, right? Even if they are a different uh, color than you or a different background than you or a different gender or a different whatever, um, you have to stand with Jesus and his people and be faithful to your covenantal vows even if you're the only white person, for example, or the only black person, you don't get to put your race or your ethnicity above your, your actual covenantal loyalties. Make sense? David doesn't, get to, uh, David doesn't get to reject these people because they're Philistines. They're with him and he is with them regardless of their ethnicity. I think that's very important because I think there is a temptation um, to stand with your people these days. You know, you got black pride or white power or whatever, and you're like, no, I'm with my people. These are my people, come hell or high water. No, these are my people. You want to be loyal to them, but only as they are loyal to Christ, right? We are, we're not sycophants to our ethnicity, amen? Our ethnicity flag is not higher than our Christian flag, amen? And uh, <clears throat> I think this is cool, though. you got first-generation Philistine Christians, and they're following David, and, and the, the established church is following Absalom. Interesting. Next, uh, verse 19. Got a few more. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. Right? Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. But notice what is David saying to the Philistine. What's he saying to him? He's saying, hey, you, no one's expecting you to do this right? You know, you just got here, right? No one's expecting you to be this loyal to, to risk your life, because you understand all these people are risking their lives. Absalom has the upper hand. He has the army. He has all the people. He's like, don't risk. You just got here, right? Just go back home. You stay. You're out of this fight. Just stay out. No one's going to mess with you. You're a foreigner. You just got to town, and what does he do? No, no, no. I'm coming, right? I'm coming. Even when people give you the permission to bail on your commitments. Do not bail on your commitments. And people will give you a permission. They will make it easy on you, right? Now, I'm not saying in a, in a, business, con in a business contract, for example, um, you can ask the business partner to relieve you of certain terms and conditions. For example, if you're in a business partnership and then you get diagnosed with a terminal illness, you can ask them, would you, you know, would it be okay if I didn't follow these terms and conditions because of this happening to me. And they have the freedom to say yes or no, right? Um, but, but there's a lot of times, I mean, I, I can think of several examples in the history of our church and in the history of people that I know, they, would, they had marriage problems and they would go to counselors because people think that experts and counselors have some magic juju that pastors can't possibly have. 
right? Even though pastors are given to you by Jesus, Jesus didn't give you therapists. Um, uh, Jesus gave you pastors. Um, but a lot of people feel like they are, uh, you know, their problems are just too unique for the, the hayseeds to deal with. And so they go to the specialist. And boy, nine times out of ten, the specialist tells them, you need to do what makes you happy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know of, exa- of several examples where people were given permission to divorce by Christian counselors in this town, which I don't recommend any of them. All right. There's not a single one that I can recommend. I, I, maybe, I, maybe there's a good one out there. I don't know them. I don't know it. Um, the Christian counselors said, you need to do what makes you happy. Now, you see, now you have, you have an expert, which is just another way of saying a pastor of a different religion, by the way, just so you know. An expert, you know, they have their, they don't have ordination papers, they have accreditation papers, but it's the same thing. And now that expert is telling you, do what makes you happy. Well, you know, I have a, I have a medical professional telling me this. I, you know, they, uh, they have um, a, a PhD in victimology, and, um, and I'm not happy. I'm not happy. A lot of people do that. They will, go, they will shop around from experts until the expert that they choose, finally they find one that confirms their biases and tells them what they already wanted to do and gives them permission to bail on their loyalty. No, don't, don't do it even if, even if someone has given you permission to do it. Look at verse 20, the next test. You came only yesterday, he says, and, and shall I today make you wander about with us? Since I go, I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. You see, the point here is that David can offer him nothing. David doesn't even know where they're going to sleep the next night. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to be loyal even when there is no objective benefit to it in the moment. Being loyal and faithful when it benefits you, anybody can do that. Pagans do that, right? But it takes the Holy Spirit to be loyal when it costs you. Amen? Amen. Psalm chapter 15, verse 1. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? That is, who can be saved and and know God and enjoy the presence and the knowledge of God. Verse 4, he who, verse 4, swears to his own hurt and does not change. See, what a Christian is someone who swears to his own hurt. Swear is to make an oath, to keep a, a covenantal commitment, even to your own hurt, even when it doesn't benefit you. If you only keep your commitments when it benefits you, that's no different than retail Right? That's just retail relationships. I love you because I love you loving me. Right? I love you because of the benefits. That's not Holy Spirit-empowered biblical love. Right? <laughs> I love you, period. That's biblical love. Right? Um, <clears throat> verse 21, but Ittai answered the king. Ittai, what an what a awesome picture. Ahithophel stabs David in the back, his best friend, runs off with Absalom, but this first-generation Philistine Christian with, with no benefit whatsoever, right, with, but with everything to lose, says, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will be, your servant will be. It doesn't even matter. No strings attached. You see, his covenantal loyalty is absolute 
unconditional, no strings attached. It's I. He could be it for short. <clears throat> yeah. Isn't that, a, isn't that a character on the, on the Munsters? It? Yeah. Cousin It. Yeah, it could be Cousin It. All right. <clears throat> All right, one more. Yeah. Amen. Because you go through a lot of tests, and the tests reveal the weaknesses, and then the Holy Spirit helps you repent and confess those weaknesses and get stronger. You understand what I mean? And uh, you need that. You need those stress tests. Yeah, don't cry. Don't make me cry. Say, old person love, yeah, no, the notebook stuff. All right. I was, I was looking this up, but a, a stress test... A stress test is what they will, they will do, a doctor will do, I think, for your heart. They will put you on a treadmill and monitor your heart. All right, that's what God does. God puts your, God puts, God, we always think of, of trials as an individualistic thing. God doesn't just put you on in a trial. You are connected to a community, in, in a family, a church, a town, and it's like overlapping molecular structures. And he puts those bonds to test. He's not just putting you to test. He's putting those bonds to test, right? Um, and, he, and, and it feels, in, what it feels like, by the way, is usually anxiety. That's what it feels like. Just, it's hard to explain, but anxiety doesn't actually, ex- it doesn't ex- exist in, the, in, it's not just in you. Okay, if you think about anxiety, it's always interrelational. There's, it's always involving other people. You ever think about that? You're, you're stressed about what they are doing or not doing or what they're going to do to you or not do to you. And it could be more than one person. So anxiety, it's, it actually it exists almost like between you and others. Like if you imagine you're, you're connected to everyone with strings the anxiety is in the, is in the strings. You understand what I mean? And so there's always a temptation with anxiety, what they call structural anxiety or systemic anxiety, right? Um, if you were alone on an island by yourself and you got sick, then that anxiety would not be between you and other people. But it's almost always between you and other people. And the temptation is if I cut these strings, then I will be free of anxiety, right? And I will then be, I will have equilibrium and I will be comfortable. That's the lie though. It's the lie. And, and the world will tell you, you got to set boundaries, which is, is sure, I guess you have to set boundaries. I, I like to use biblical terms because uh, the world will sneak other stuff in there. But boundaries can often be used as an excuse to simply be disloyal, right? And just cut everyone out of your life. And, um, and usually the what will happen in these moments is called emotional triangulation, right? You will be having anxiety, let's just say between me and you. So there's anxiety between you and your pastor because of something I said, all right? And the fact that what I said, if it's from the Bible, adds a whole other dimension to this, okay? And what will happen is that anxiety between us will, be, will put a strain on that relationship, 
And uh, what will happen is the two, there will be another person pop up so that then there will be a, a triangulation that begins to happen. Like molecular cells, there's a dis uh, lack of equilibrium and another cell will come along and, and it'll bond over to that one. And it, it goes from one thing to, it turns into something else. There will be an, another person will emerge and that person will feed into whatever you're dealing with and they will offer you an anxiety-free relationship, right? And very oftentimes other pastors do that. They will, they'll sit down and have lunch with you Right. The, and they will talk and, and they will give you the impression that all the things that cause anxiety between you and your pastor would be immediately solved if you shoop, you switch to them. And that's what's going on relationally with church hopping. That's what happens. And, entire, and, and it can work with entire groups, especially that person, right, really wants to grow their church. It's a huge temptation for pastors, right? But the same thing can happen with your a husband and wife. A husband and wife, they have anxiety between another, and then that person works in an office, and there's another person there at that office. And you tell them all the, the complaints you have about your husband. You know what I mean? And, and all of a sudden, oh, I can't believe that. I, I, you know, he just doesn't know what he's got. And they start to emotionally triangulate a wife, and the wife begins to imagine that if I were connected to him, all of my anxieties would go away. And what we really want deep down is peace and comfort and rest. Anxiety is, ah, it's such a stress. But, it, but it's a test of loyalty. And you can't allow anxiety based on what someone said or did or systemic changes to the, to the church. To, ah, 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 and then get emotionally triangulated by someone and and then you break your, your covenantal loyalties. But that's what is going on all the time in every organization, right? But the Ittai, the, the, I wish he had a better name because that would be a great name. But it is short for Ittai. And that's not going to work. He stays faithful to David no matter what. Look at, look at this right here, verse 22. We're, almost, we're done. And David said to Ittai, go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who are with him. That adds another dimension to it because sometimes you're willing to pay the costs, but not if the children are involved. You won't sacrifice your kids. But what does Joshua say? Ah, as for me and myself, I will be loyal to the Lord. Is that what Joshua says? No, as for me and my house, we will be loyal to the Lord. And that means sometimes the kids have to pay the cost. What do you think missionaries do when they go? Do their kids get to have a bunch of friends? Do they get all the athletic programs, right? right? No, they, they, the kids sacrifice too because it's a household, right? And we all have to realize that. Like your kids are not free from the tests either. And so I think that could be one of the biggest tests. I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice and I'll do this and I'll play my part, but not when the kids are you know, are involved. When it comes to the kids, I do what's best for me and them, period. A lot of people are that way. We're not allowed to do that either, right? The whole household has to be loyal and has to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, that's it for today. Y'all have a good Lord's Day.